Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, just a word of warning. Oh, you're a mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall either. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Hello, welcome to Bums on Seats. This is, well, if you're listening on Saturday, it's a Saturday show, you might be listening at two o'clock on Sunday. But live in the studio with me today, we have Bridget. Hiya. Good morning. And Emma. Good afternoon. And, oh, yeah, because we're on at 1pm now, aren't we? I'm we always sorry. got mixed up, didn't we? Dave. Hello. And Lorcan. Hello. And we've, we're trying to squeeze in five films for you today, and what's the absolute worst that can happen? We have X-Men, Dark Phoenix, Late Night, Book Smart, Godzilla 2, they've made another one, um, and Rocket Man with R. Elton. So let's have a quick listen to the Dark Phoenix trailer, and then we'll get chatting about that one first. She should be dead. Did you hear what the kids are calling you? Phoenix. Hello, Jean. Who are you? The better question is, who are you? Something's happening to me. When I lose control, bad things happen. But it feels good. That power destroyed everything it ever came into contact with. Until you, the X-Men, fear you. And what they fear, we seek to destroy. She'll kill us all. So, remember the time that I called people Purple Man and Green Lady and the other superhero thing? I'm just going to let Dave tell you what this is about. Mm. Thanks, <laughs> and, who, and, and who everyone is. <laughs> Wait, this has got X-Men in it. Okay, so this is this is the That's last... Di- is that different to Purple Man, Green Lady, or is that the same? It, it is, <laughs> only because it's the last one that Fox are producing before right. the, the universe that the Purple Lady and her friends are in. Okay. No, it's Purple Man. Purple Man and his friends are in, will take over the X-Men, right. but they don't know what they're going to do. So who's Jean Grey? So Jean Grey is portrayed by Sophie Turner, who everyone knows Oh, as, off of Game of Thrones yeah, and the Jonas Brothers. Go. Yes, just Awkward turn of phrase. So the, the, this is uh, this story is basically it's a retread of X Men: The Last Stand. It's in fact the same writer and director, Simon Kinsberg. Now a lot oh, of people. This is why we hired you, Dave. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can hire me. You don't pay me. Oh, uh, <laughs> me neither, babe. <laughs> carrying on. Um, uh, so X Men Three was the story of the the Dark Phoenix saga, uh, and this this is Simon Kinsberg's attempt to to redo it because there was a lot of I think he quotes studio interference the first time around, um, and on watching it again you think the same thing has happened really maybe a bit of studio interference, um, but the story is uh, Jean Jean Grey is one of the most powerful mutants, but she suffered okay. bad trauma in her childhood and to protect her from herself. Professor X has gone in, put mental barriers around her, but then she comes into contact with a, an alien force while they're trying to save some astronauts in space at the start of the film. Right. And it starts breaking down these barriers, and this is where the film progresses from there. She becomes more powerful, starts to lose control. You know, it's 
It's a really dark film. So she a baddie. She sounds like a baddie. She she's not. The, the, this is the thing. A lot of people are going to go and see this film to watch the last comic book movie in a series, as far as they're concerned. So mm-hmm. they they might be expecting something quite bright and uplifting. This is a film about exploring deep personal trauma that has happened okay. to someone. It's not a light and, you, and happy. You've never subject. really had that to that extent in this universe before. In your opinion, do you think? The closest you could come is if you look at maybe Logan, where Wolverine's all old and decrepit. It's so far in the future. But Logan is excellent. But Logan is excellent. (laughs) Oh, and is this no? It's a no for Dave. Is that because there's a girl in the lead role and you're a terrible misogynist? (laughs) 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 I'm able to joke like that because I know he's not. (laughs) You're allowed to slander me on the radio. We're not allowed to slander other people. Oh, no. Um, it's it's just it's a very messy film, right? Um, but it had some you know some really nice action sequences. I thought I wasn't you know every everyone's kind of playing a very familiar role. Okay, it felt like they could have been maybe putting a bit more effort in. Right, Lorcan, what do you think they were hoping for? What do you think they were supposed to be giving you with this film? Uh, I think um, evidently this seems to be like a passion project for Simon Kinberg, Kinsberg, Kinberg, mm-hmm. this story. Because, um, like Dave said, it's the second time he's telling it, um, and obviously it wasn't supposed to be the very last X Men movie. Um, they pretty much filmed it, and then all the Disney stuffs come in, and um, it was then like it, they were then then later told that basically this is the last installment. Um, I think for me, this last is more installment before they hand over to the new produce production company new, or do you the, mean the, the in new, comic book to terms. Disney, um, oh, okay, right. whenever Marvel Studios eventually decides what they want to do with the franchise right. um, so for me this film was more X-Men contractual obligations now with 10 million dollars less Captain Marvel um, allegedly they reshot uh, about 10 so million dollars worth cynical, of footage to, to change to change the ending because the ending was apparently too similar to Captain Marvel um, well, I obviously have no idea how Captain Marvel ended because it looked lame, so I didn't see it. Um, well, oddly, <laughs> like another parallel, another parallel. <laughs> I know, like there, are, there's de- you can definitely see where they're going with the Captain Marvel comparison. Uh, oddly, the, the main, the main comparison um, is that like after films like Valerian and Captain Marvel, where like um, the alien, these this alien race is portrayed as like analogy for refugees. Um, this film does the same, where aliens are like a parable for refugees, but the refugees are the villain, which I thought was oh. an interesting choice. Um, in general, I thought the film, I thought the action was kind of mediocre. Um, all performances were fine, with the exception of Jayla, who is she's just counting those minutes until she can get off. Um, who is what is that? Wait, is that the character name or the actor name? Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, okay, Jay Law. I thought you were saying Jayla. Sorry, I no, sorry, Jay Law. Uh, and she's oh, too good for this stuff now, is she? Oh, she she thinks she is. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the main the main problem the main problem overall everything is that um, obviously they didn't intend for this to be the final installment. They did do reshoots, but those reshoots don't have any kind of climactic sense. So the film just kind of fizzles out. And because this is like a new generation of X Men that started with First Class, mm-hmm. and each iteration following that, each sequel takes place about roughly ten years after the last one, mm-hmm. um, and there's always like a pretty high turnover of the X Men characters. So by the time we get to this, oh, well, one, you know, I can't keep up. But we, but other reasons. no one. But the thing is, <laughs> Sophie Turner's character of Jean Grey was only introduced in the last film. We don't know any of these characters outside of Magneto, Professor X, and Jennifer Lawrence. Is this a filler film to take your money before they're ready to do the next proper one? I think they're. Well, I think 
this was a passion project for the writer director, but yeah. they just this kind of was supposed to be an intermediate film, but unfortunately, it's the last one. Right. What? But so, how does it compare? Does does the female lead feel a bit shoehorned? I don't know what you thought about Brie Larson being Captain America. I can't remember our discussion. We were pretty divided Captain on that. Marvel. Sorry, Marvel, same thing. Um, we were pretty really divided not. on whether that really worked when we were talking about that. But does this feel like we've shoehorned in a female lead for female lead's sake, or does this story really work? I mean. You, I, I, it's horrible to criticise someone for doing their job, but she's she's not the best female lead, you know. I it was really is that because nice. she's not been given enough script, action, backstory, or is that just because she can't carry a film of this magnitude? I don't think she can carry the film. Yeah, it's it's too. She's big. neither done anything else apart from Game of Thrones, huh? She's very very. Yeah, new, it's, it's, yeah. it's limited. And the the good thing is, you you do get Jessica Chastain as kind yes. of like supporting villain. Uh, supporting no. villain yeah that's the best way that's a say. great job title yeah I know. And, you know but she 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 also kind of feels like like a lot of the cast she's just kind of daydreaming her way through the role she does have a couple of nice moments where you know everyone is doing all these massive grand gestures as they unleash their powers and she just kind of swipes left and someone goes flying across the screen i was enjoying <laughs> stuff like that it's like it's it's not about the massive opera racket gestures it's just about i'm so powerful i can just do this and you go flying so there, there were moments that made me kind of you know geek out fanboy nerd out whatever you want to call it yeah but then there were also moments where it was just like why is this happening do we at least have some cool 90s easter eggs like we had in brie larson's film or is this just straight up superhero as you'd expect they never really go anywhere there where an easter egg could be unleashed like that i think the closest mm -hmm. we get is um in one of the fight scenes when so uh, Quicksilver as everyone knows he runs fast and time slows down and he gets a wicked song but in this case it, it kind of goes wrong for him so we only get a glimpse of a song and I can't even remember what it was before it kind of gets yeah, cut the, off the production design doesn't reflect and come, come to think about the production design doesn't reflect a 90s vibe at all but I'm thankful they didn't do the Captain Marvel thing of just shoehorning in a bunch of 90s songs just to pop in the soundtrack oh, and get people to say they like it. Oh, you hated that. But that's the only reason people were trying to tell, get me to go and see that film. It's like, oh, you'll love it. It's, the soundtrack's really 90s. I'm like, but it's still full of superheroes, isn't it? So I'm not saying it doesn't didn't work. work. Didn't, work. <laughs> didn't work to get me in the cinema, though, did it? Well, it only cost them $200 million, hey? And they've already made over 130 so... I think it's the lowest Job ever done? opening weekend really? for an X-Men film. Something okay. like that. Well, that looks like a ton of money made to me, but never mind. So, you, you would Marvel films fans be really annoyed by this, or is it just good enough? Marvel fans go to the Marvel films now if they want to watch them. The the X Men films have been kind of like a, I guess you'd call it an entertaining sideshow. <laughs> um, yeah. Day, yeah. Days of Future Past, I thought was brilliant. Apocalypse was fun, but came out after the MCU was too established if the MCU didn't exist people would look at Apocalypse and say oh it's a really good superhero film okay. but they looked at it and said it's rubbish have you seen a really good superhero film they're these ones over here and the sad thing is that like um, the X-Men franchise along with Blade I think were the ones that really launched super, like yeah, the ubiquitous superhero era mm -hmm. and it's been going, the X-Men films have been going for 19 years over about 10 or so films and it just it's the one that gets like the worst send off it's just such a pointless fizzle to like this grand thing 
See, this is why I need you here, guys, because I really don't know anything about this. But it's um, it's out now, by the way, um, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Certificate 12A. It's showing at The View and The Light in town, but all surrounding Cineworlds, if you're a bit further out. Shall we move on to our next female-fronted movie and see if it fares any better? Let's listen to a trailer for Late Night, starring Emma Thompson and Mindy Carling. Do none of you understand what is at stake here? I am being replaced. Think about why the show is bad and come up with ways to fix it. I wish I was a woman of color so I could just get me job I want. We talked about this, you can't say that. I know what everyone thinks of me, but just because I was lucky enough to get this job doesn't mean I'm stupid enough to lose it. What exactly is wrong with my bits? You're a little old and a little white. What can I do about that? I have some jokes for the monologue. I shouldn't do this in an English accent, should I? No. Watch me! This is your show. It's an expression of who you are. How would you describe Molly? She said I was the vibrant splash of color on the gray <laughs> canvas of our writing staff. I mean, I need you, Molly. I need your pushiness and lack of boundaries. You love me. No, I didn't say that. I, no. I mean, not in those words, but you... No, I didn't say it in any of those words. Oh, I love Mindy Carling. I still haven't made it to this. I previewed this on one of the Thursday stage and screen shows. And I'm very excited to see it, so I hope you all tell me it's really good. But basically, Late Night, Emma Thompson is a late night talk show host. Late night, long-running talk show host, and there aren't many female ones of those in real life. Um, she hires Mindy Carling, basically, to give her a breath of fresh air because she fears that she might lose her long-running show for various reasons. I think the trailer suggests she's a bit of a... Well, I hate using the word battle axe because women are only ever called that. Curmudgeon. Let's go with that. Um, so, Bridget, Dave and Lorcan. We'll go Bridget first. What did you expect? Was this going to be a kind of a fluffy rom-com, but has it maybe got a little more depth or the complete opposite for you? Uh, yeah, well, we know that she's lo losing her show because mm. the producer has told her she's losing her show. <gasps> so she's definitely so she's on the warpath. The, the axe is falling, so that's that's <laughs> that's the axe that you're looking for. Um, yeah, the, there was a lot of it I liked. Um, the the dialogue is it's clever, it's witty. Everyone's a bit sharp, and, and the the characters have got a lot of um, warmth and depth to them. Okay. and variety and it's the same sort of office banter that you get when you know you can make a little joke with your friend office so that, banter hilarious I know, mindy yes, carlin's that, off of the that, u.s that, office um, <laughs> well that was one of the other things i was going to say it's it's the mm. the filming it's it's shot to such a small scale it's not beautiful cinema and amazing vistas it, it <laughs> looks like 30 rock or or one of these office-based nice. comedies okay which nothing wrong with that but it, it seems seems a bit odd to be spending so much time on something like that in the cinema. Right. Yeah, I get that. What do we think... Um, how do we think Mindy Carling did with writing a feature length for this? Um, I... Mm, I, th mm. I... There's like... <laughs> There's like a few reasons why I don't really like uh, overt politics uh, in film. Uh, one of them okay. is that um, I think the story and the visual storytelling should sell the movie. Um, the second that I think in art you need to, if you want to sway someone to your opinion or argument, um, it needs to be done through like emotional catharsis, uh, through like metaphor and euphemism. Mm -hmm. um, and 
if you're if you're constantly evaluating the film stance on something, it's just not immersive. You're just not in the film. You're constantly thinking about the politics of the film. Why they've the why they've made certain decisions? You mean? Uh, yeah. Well, just like well, the, like this this film. There's a lot of this. Basically, every scene is like, here's a new opinion that I'm going to like argue with the audience, a debate debate with the audience, basically. Um, but you you can never get into a film like that because you're just constantly thinking about what the film's trying to tell you. Um, I do like Mindy Kaling. I think she I think she does a lot to sidestep all of those issues. Um, but ultimately, I feel like the film, the film works as a film well enough. Uh, I don't think it feels. I don't. I don't agree with Bridget. That feels like a, a long TV show kind of thing. Um, I think it, it's. I think it's. It looks like a long TV show. Uh, it feels it, but, like a film. It, yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but I think the film plays more like an essay that just kind of jumps from topic to topic. Um, despite, like, I think there were there were a lot of jokes I laughed at. I think all the performance is really good, um, and a lot of the a lot of the things I laughed at were specifically like line deliveries, like everyone, yeah. which implies that everyone on set seems to be having like a really nice time. It looks like a really fun camaraderie set to be on, and that really shines through. That's good. Well, we have people like John Lithgow against Emma Thompson, so you can't go far wrong there. And if you've got Mindy Carlin writing. I'm guessing the material's pretty good. Yeah, the joke, the jokes themselves work quite well. There's very okay. few jokes I felt didn't land. So this director, Nisha Ganatra, I don't know anything else she's done. This is only her fifth feature length, and I, I don't recognise any of the other four. So Dave, did you did this feel telly to you, or did it feel proper cinema with a little extra warmth that maybe you liked? It it, it felt like television, but uh, okay. I didn't mind that. Uh, mm -hmm. Every every time. You know, it kind of felt like there was a dip in the pace for me. It was what my brain was mentally starting to refer to as a commercial break now. Just like a oh, pause to reset So myself. maybe that was completely yeah. explicitly done properly. Yeah. I have no idea huh. or not. But, uh, no, it was, a, you know, it was a good enough story. I, from the trailer, I was expecting more kind of flat-out comedy than we were expect, And that's not what happened. I found there was actually, you know, kind of nice undercurrents of drama running throughout the whole thing. Because this is, for Emma Thompson's character, her show is kind of like, she's she's never had kids, she's never done anything else with her life apart from the show, and to find out when it's being taken away from her, every now and again you can just see how devastated it is making her. And there's some really nice scenes where they're talking about how she doesn't use the show to kind of promote herself personally or use it to take a stance on things. But in these scenes where she's talking to other people, she actually does talk about things and it gives you little glimpses into the character that you might not otherwise see because of this kind of hard curmudgeonly persona. Curmudgeonly battleaxe. Was there, so Bridget, you mentioned briefly that it felt like, a, or was it you that said that? It felt like a series of sketches or we'd switch on and off quickly, it might have been someone else. But was there beginning, middle and end? Was there any kind of resolution? So did you feel close enough to Emma Thompson to care what happened at the end of this? Yes, I think in, in the very first scene they set her up with quite a warm little scene when she's talking to her husband on the telephone um, and it's only later that her cruelty comes out but quite where that oh. comes from I, it doesn't feel like part of her personality so much as the sort of distance okay. that you have to have to, have to be a professional woman yeah. in some environments and that's not seen as authority and gravitas it's seen as... Um, coldness and meanness um the storyline there were there were no surprises really were there no <laughs> it, it sort of set itself up very well with all the different strands of, of the people and the involvement okay and then it kind of potted along but nice what, um, what they just said about there being there, there's drama in there there's comedy in there there's reflection on how comedy works 
Um, a joke will land much better if you're among friends than strangers. The same joke. Um, <laughs> it, it works for its over work, over. yes. <laughs> and so, trying to, to fit all of that and bring that personality back into her act. Right. Would we pay to go and see this then? Or would we stay at home and watch something like this on TV for free, do you reckon? I would go and see it in the cinema. Okay. Yeah. Well, you haven't turned me off it, none of you, that harshly. I'm still going to go and give it a go. It's not going to turn into a national treasure movie okay. like um, Love Actually or For I knew you were going to say Love Actually. No. Okay, well, I might still... I'm going to still give it a go. That's Late Night. It's a certificate 15. It's on at the Picture House and the Light Cinema in town, and it is out now. Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. I want you to know that I'm happy for you I wish nothing but the best for you both I know the version of me is she perverted like me would she go down on short musical interlude for you there because I could not resist playing the first chorus of that song because it features in Booksmart which is probably my second favourite film of the entire year let's listen to a trailer and everyone can tell you why I'm right nobody knows that we are fun we didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges and it worked but the irresponsible people who partied also got into those colleges we have to go to a party tonight what? No, no, no. Not acceptable. This is not okay. Who allowed you to be this beautiful? Who allowed you to be this beautiful? Who allowed you to take my breath away? Tonight is your night. Yes. yes. Woo! Ladies, we are headed to the biggest, coolest grad night party in town. Can I get a what? What? Jesus Christ. So, I'm just asking around, do we have a dissenting voice on this to try and give a little flavour to the conversation? We do not. So, Emma, kick us off with the reasons you love it and think it's one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's just wind that back a little bit. I did enjoy it well enough, though. Um, I was going to start off just by saying the last time I saw Olivia Wilde was in that horrendous um, Life Itself, so oh, was, which is obviously one of the worst that. things that's ever come out, ever. So to see her directorial debut be so smart and funny and warm and engaging, I was just, that made me so happy. It is the story of you have these two girls mm -hmm. played by Beanie Feldstein, Jonah Hill's sister. <gasps> hence all the Did super... Did not know that. <laughs> oh, there you go. Aren't I clear I am research. sharing information. Power of research. And um, Caitlin Diva, <laughs> and they play two very, they play best friends who are at 
a school that just if I could have ever gone there it would have been my liberal dream come to it. it's like the coolest Los Angeles woke seen. high school but yeah. they have spent their entire time working incredibly hard to mm-hmm. get to the colleges of their choice I think it's Yale in um, Molly's Some case Ivy and, League who are, yeah, I don't know somewhere else and so but what they don't realise is that they could have been partying because it turns out that everybody else has also got into great colleges when you come from affluent supportive households that's a reality for you guys <laughs> so it becomes the classic last day of term let's find a party I yeah. mean light dazed and confused yeah. a little bit like super bad there's a lot mean of mean girls with heart yeah there's a lot of <laughs> you watch it and you feel a kind of wave of nostalgia for a lot of other good films but yeah. it does not mean it doesn't do a great job because it really does and for me it was mostly I think down to the chemistry between the two leads between Molly they and they were fantastic Caitlin Diva and, and Beanie Feldstein I believed I believed everything about them and they are funny and they are warm and yeah it, like we were just saying beforehand it's it coming so soon after eighth grade two brilliant yeah. high one junior high one and high school movie done very differently yeah. and it's it shows that you can have stories about much younger females pulling in audience and be very well made if you give them the time and the money they need to be well told but uh, the chemistry between the two leads was perfect i agree i think the whole cast was completely I've never seen, and to be terribly ageist, actors that young and people we who I don't think have worked very much from what I can see be that brilliant together and deliver every hilarious line and weird situation they're thrown in the guy so from authentically. the vacation movie the new vacation movie Skylar Skylar Gisonda he's one of my favourites he plays he, Jared the one he who he was so charming he and wants he was, friends yeah. and he tries to buy them and he was he's delightful. just delightful. and Carrie Fisher's daughter's in this as well um, and I loved her but so let's go Dave did you have a favourite standout element of this coming at it as an older male you're the older male in this situation how weird is that your age starts with a three. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Principal Jason Sudeikis now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's who we're aligning with. Oh. It's crazy. <laughs> Many worse people to be aligned with. No, I, I thought it was a great film. I, I, I went to see it and I was the oldest person in the audience. Really? <laughs> it, it was a Thursday afternoon and okay. I, I snuck out of work early. So, of course, I ended up going with a bunch of school kids. Okay. Um, and it was really weird because there were clearly a lot more jokes that I didn't understand going on because they were in (laughs) tears the whole time beside me but it it, i still had fun i think i was getting more from not only the on-screen but the off-screen reaction as well really if it's really positive towards a film that makes you feel better about a film and that's what i got i was really carried along by the people i was watching it with as well and i think well even though we're all the pretty much the same demographic we all really laughed in different places and i think that's testament to the ensemble cast there's something for everyone here there's very very different types of people there was one joke where i was the only person who laughed and then they laughed was at that me. something joseph yeah. davis said <laughs> i can't remember probably, probably yes old it was definitely guy. the old man old dad <laughs> joke yeah so totally targeted at me <laughs> bridget did you think they handled the it's quite overt diversity compared to what we're used to seeing in I'm going to call it a blockbuster film, but I just mean a cinema release that's doing very well and is sort of across the board well-liked. Did that feel really authentic to you or was it quite obvious to you, oh, that's that kind of person, that's that kind of person, or did you not notice that while you're watching it? 
Um, I noticed that it was full of really interesting and different people, and that was mm-hmm. great. Uh, is it mainstream movie rather than blockbuster? Mainstream, that that's for? what I meant. Well, thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought it was great. As somebody whose age begins with a four, I can just about... <gasps> can you imagine? I can just about remember when my age <laughs> began with a one. Doesn't look like it, Bridget. Um, <laughs> it look however it likes, I'm on the radio. Um, but no, it was very, very relatable, very funny. Uh, I like that the adults have a backstory as well. You see quite a bit of what the... Just little little glimpses as the teachers come into the story at various points. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I felt there was a lot... Go- and so, some some of the shots were great. I mean, it's not... Yeah. It's not just, here, here's a fun movie, but there, there was a scene at a party quite near the end and it, it starts off looking like nothing special as the, as the two characters talk and it develops into this oh, that great big dance long, sequence. long shot yes and it goes on forever it was like the end just... of an American in Paris I loved it mm. and I, I like the way this film treats gay relationships as well so that my favourite shot is when and they're, they're gender ambi- ambiguous when you first meet them the girl with the curly hair who slides in on a skateboard and just the 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 amount of work they've done to make her seem really cool and make you understand why the character Amy is just lusting over her and you feel like you're staring so deeply at her as well. And then the shot changes when um, the other character is, uh, Be- Beanie's character, yeah. is looking at her and she just looks like some grungy nerd. <laughs> exactly. It's, um, but I think that was one of my favourite lines, actually, because mm-hmm. she just says something like, she has such a nice smile, she has such a lovely smile and she looks like she's always having a good time. Yeah. And I was like, what a delightful thing to say at yeah. the age of 18 as to why yeah, you're attracted to why someone. You're attracted to someone. Not because they yeah. look cool, not because they're beautiful, just because they look like they have a kind of lust for life, if you like. But um, I think you're correct. That part at the party scene, they have, you know, the, our, our, our two main characters have this argument and it, it just goes completely silent and oh, you just see God, everybody kind yeah. of, they're all filming it. The kids are all filming it on their phones, obviously. In this, and it just, I don't know, that really then woke me up to the, the fact that this is a 2019 film while I was kind of seeing their bathing nostalgia for all the ones that I watched. I'm not even going to talk about my age, but all the ones that I watched <laughs> when I was a kid. I love Breakfast Club too. Don't it, worry. <laughs> oh, thanks, Ashley. I feel so much better. Um, but I think you're right as well. The adults, there's, some, there's a great cameo from Will Forte and Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. And Yes, as um, the parents. Yeah, of, as Amy's parents yeah. who are. And it was hilarious, you know, that, that made they me laugh are. out loud as well. It's yeah. really, and it is really funny. It's properly funny. It's, yes, it's very hilarious. And the fact that these very young actors are, are being given, they, the writer's taken the time to write hilarious lines for people that would often be written off as the little sister or someone's kid in a film. But every single person in this film is given their time to shine and then they take it to the next level with their delivery. Anything that we found a bit problematic in this film at all? I felt the scene Emma was talking about, where the whole film was lovely and felt like it was Vaseline lens and I wish I was this age in, in 2019. And then the bit where everyone's filming on their camera reminded me of eighth grade. I was like, oh, that's the other side of being that age. Thank God I wasn't that age in 2019. Anything else anyone found a bit problematic about the film or was it happy, clappy, nice all the way through? I just enjoyed the ride the whole time. It is you know, a total maybe, maybe ride, isn't the, it? Maybe not the ride with the horrendous, horrendous driving, which was still shot beautifully. <laughs> it was amazing, <laughs> but I would not want to have been in that car. Oh, no. no. Anything, Bridget, did you find it all happy, clappy? Anything that was a bit awkward for you or you felt worried well, their, for anyone at any point? Well, entire evening was awkward, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a, a terrible roller coaster of ways to not get to a party. Indeed. Um, was I, I kept saying to the person I was with, one male, 
while I was watching this and several females and they just kept commenting oh, it's just like super bad it's just like super bad I'm like yeah but we had to wait 10 years to get a female led version of super bad is it 10 years old super bad it's got to be it's got to be I don't even I don't I didn't even really remember super bad that well while yeah. I was watching because I don't think I've ever rewatched super bad actually I did greatly enjoy it it felt a little bit more emotionally involved than Superbad did and also actually less involved with with it's less it was much less involved with romance and sex which I appreciated yeah mate you know it, it was much more involved with with this with these girls friendships and also yeah. that awesome scene at the beginning where our heroine Molly is in the toilet and obviously it's a completely mixed gender <gasps> toilet and they're yeah. being really mean about how well she's in the toilet so she kind of comes out and she like serves them and she's like well yeah. you losers I'm going to be off to Yale next year yeah. so I feel bad about that and they're like yeah whatever I've got a Google I'm just going coding at Google. Stanford, I'm not yeah. going. And yeah. it's just that moment when you see her face because you're so used to that kind of scene where someone comes out and 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 you realise then this is a much bigger idea yeah. of all of these different characters and then that's reflected in all the parties they go to because they end up at the terrible party thrown on the boat oh oh but he tries so hard. i know which is adorable but it's you know the ipads awful. had pictures already loaded <laughs> yes. of his oh and, he's and then the very dramatic camp yeah. murder mystery which would that would have been the party See, i threw that then reminded me a little bit of everybody's got um Everybody's everybody wants some. Everybody wants some. That yeah. you know, when they go to the drama party oh, there as yeah. well. There's a lot, there was, like I said, I, I did sit there and I was, I was just, yeah, really enjoying all the reflected other films. Yeah. That I think about while I was watching it. And that was the facet I liked the most because I thought when I started watching it, you're made to think it's just Amy and Molly against the world. They're these brilliant, diverse females. They're really clever, and you're supposed to hate absolutely everyone else in the film because they're the mean girls of the film. But then everyone is very multi-layered, and like, yes, you might be slightly promiscuous but you also might be going to harvard too like you you don't have to fit into this mold who's what characters stood out for everyone did we have different favorites that peculiar young woman who kept popping up all over the place Carrie she's Fisher's daughter magic. that's oh, Billy Lord she, she, she oh, is magic yes she was amazing <laughs> she was that yeah she yeah. was hilarious she was wonderful and i really liked the way she was treated as well because we probably thought of her when we met her She's just crazy. Leave her be. The only reason lovely Jared is friends with her is because he's got no other friends. But then there's that lovely scene at the end where he's just like, she's a sad person. I can, I have the emotional intelligence to see that she's just sad and she just needs someone to talk to her and be with her. What did you reckon? I, apart from old prin <laughs> principal <laughs> Jason Sudeikis. Um, actually, it's I'm not pigeonholing uh, at all today, Ashley. I'm loving that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the scene where Jared steps up and takes a, a dash of responsibility because people are running late for very... Oh, I don't want to yeah. say what the scene is, but... It's, when it's the end and yeah. it's brilliant. And he handles it so well. Yeah, well. and you can just see that he's taken his direction from this girl and that so rarely happens in films like that especially yeah. featuring ages like that and you can see him regurgitating what he's told her to say and he he really respects and believes in her and wants to help her out in that moment i did love that yeah, it was who, awesome. who did you like him well i think you've we've discussed everybody but we haven't yet discussed there is another fantastic older character the teacher miss fine jessica williams <laughs> yeah her the story argument. She had a slightly problematic I, moment as well. But anyway, I, go on. I, I, I really enjoyed her, her closing moments so which although were slightly maybe slightly problematic and one of the more cliche because I mean, it's not this film does have tropes in it. It does have cliches yeah. in it. And to me it was it's quite slight. I wouldn't sort of say it's changed. I wouldn't like I say I wouldn't have banged it up. There is my second favorite film mm -hmm. of the year so far. But, <gasps> you know, it is I'm so easily pleased. 
<laughs> but no, <laughs> she was also. I, it just was. It was a really, really, yeah. a, like a really entertaining film. Well written, smartly written, good. You know, female, female energy to the fore. And Who really was well the writer actually? So they're obviously all female writers. We know Olivia Wilde directed it, but we have Emily Halpern. Let's see. Oh, she, oh, she produced Blackish. Okay, so that's maybe that's where she gets all the brilliant humour from because that's dark and dry and funny. And then we have Sarah Haskins as well. Oh, who Kate was Silverman, who wrote "Isn't It Romantic," that marvelous Netflix comedy with um, Rebel Wilson. Oh no. <laughs> Well, she did, is she did a better job here. Maybe she's a, more of a team player. We just leave her in a team, not by herself ever again, and that won't happen. Uh, I, well, can we go on more about Booksmart? We can't. We have two more films. But please see Booksmart. I've seen it three times, everyone. Um, and I love things like Mean Girls, but I can see completely how this genre of film has grown up and developed, and the humour's better, the casting's better, the the situations we see the young people in are much better. We're getting better and better at this. And I would say, if you've seen 8th Grade recently, it makes a really good companion piece. You know, because mm. 8th Grade was only, what, a month ago? And so yeah. like, it, it's really good. Definitely see well. both. They completely treat a very similar subject in different ways, and it's it's sort of dark and light in a way, isn't it? Yeah. I loved it very much. Where is this showing? It's at the Arts Picture House and View, and it's a certificate 15 Go and have a look. I loved it. Book smart. Bums on seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Now we have to review Godzilla 2. Here's the trailer. Madra. Roden. Ghidorah. Oh my. They're moving like a pack. They're hunting. They all respond directly to an alpha. We stop this Ghidorah, we stop them all. Is there another creature that might stand a chance against him? My God. Zilla. Our planet will perish. And so will we. We set Godzilla free. Oh, yeah, sure. Let's bring him in for a beer. No, this time we join the fight. Right, Lorcan. First Godzilla, that was all right, because it was kooky and weird. We'd never seen anything like it. And Jamiroquai did a great job with that cool song on the soundtrack. Is this... <laughs> Is this a different story entirely, or have they just remade the thing from the early noughties? Um, well, they've they remade the thing from the early sixties. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why every, every time a studio tries to replicate the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it just goes so horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, there's <laughs> I like... do. Because <laughs> money talks, and they're not really thinking about anything else, Lorcan, are they? But you think <laughs> they'd think about something? Mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of strange things with Godzilla too. Um, What's the so? What are we looking at then? Big lizard comes to sack another city. Is that basically it, or is so there it's, more it's to basically, it? It's basically, I think it's Warner Brothers, uh, whatever the studio is. They're basically doing the same thing that Toho did in the fifties and sixties, where uh, they make a first Godzilla film uh, and it's relatively serious, uh, and then they, uh, and then they had a couple of sequels that didn't really do anything. They tried to do the same thing, and no one liked those. And then they went to 
Toho went to Godzilla vs. King Kong, and that was the first one where they were going to make the Godzilla films more kind of family-friendly, uh, just like dumb action films. And after Godzilla vs. Kong, there was Ghidorah, which was Godzilla vs. Uh, Ghidorah, a three-headed uh, interspace, uh, interplanetary monster, Rodan, a big pterodactyl thing, and Mothra. Um, and so Godzilla 2 King of the Monsters is literally a remake of that, but bizarrely, instead of instead of following the formula of doing... Because they did Godzilla, and then Kong Skull Island was the sequel to Godzilla. And instead of doing Godzilla vs. Kong, they've gone to Interplanetary Monster monster Mash. Right. And after that, they're going to do Godzilla vs. Kong, which is Kong's really intimidating after the three-headed monster from space confused. that shoots lightning. Very confused. Um, <laughs> so we have... Is it Michael Doherty? Is that his name? Michael Doherty, yeah. He um, wrote and directed Ro- Trick or Treat and Krampus. So I loved Trick or Treat. I loved Krampus. Those two things are up my street. Weird comic horrors fit around brilliant holiday seasons. <laughs> so Halloween and Christmas can't go wrong. So why has he gone and done this? Do you, did, did he feel like a big action film director to you, Bridget, or did he feel a bit out of his depth? Uh, well, he's written horror films and superhero films, mm. so having a monster smash-up movie does seem like a good fit for him. This kind of thing. Um, it's quite a different scale from things like Krampus. The way it's filmed, it's very much filmed with epic it's grandeur epic cinematic and people's love. skins right. gleam with gold. Ugh. And when someone's head <laughs> tosses in the snow, the snow crystals are like diamonds <laughs> sparkling and everyone is quite intense most of the time. But you hated the film. <laughs> um, I didn't. No, you didn't no, hate it. No. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really engage with it as okay. an action movie. Um, but do you engage it, with it, action movies in general? Is this just not your thing? Something about it just just felt a bit off-putting. I liked okay. a lot of the details, and they they had me thinking about a lot of things, like um, when when the Mothra character is born, hatched out of out of her her chrysalis. Mm. Um, Everyone starts screaming, and that's a horrible thing to happen when you're right. just born, and, and that's a lot like... <laughs> so you're feeling for the chrysalis. <laughs> well, it's a lot like Frankenstein, and the monster comes oh, okay. to life, and everyone goes, oh my god, it's a monster, and you freak out a bit. So there oh. were lots of lots of sort of moments like that, but it is it is trying to be a serious film, like Lorcan oh, said, really? the original yes. one. Oh. It's about environmentalism, it's about who's doing the most damage to the planet. Uh, there aren't right. clear good guys and bad guys. Um, so it's trying to say something else through the vehicle of Godzilla and does that really work for And are the, the are are the, the monsters or the Titans as they call them creatures that have been epically here to protect the world and are they going to protect us from ourselves and should we de- destroy humanity to save the planet or should we destroy the monsters so like humanity? lego movie 2 you think the bad guys are <laughs> the good guys are back they're just here to try and talk to you in your language to tell you where you're going wrong that's what i'm getting at <laughs> yeah save saviors and destroyers it's trying to say something about that and it does at length because they talk a lot don't they there's a lot of talking yeah. oh and is that not is that not what you want or what you went into this film hoping for well i feel like they, they they do the right thing they try to have a human element but the problem is the script feels very much like a first draft where like oh. they just bash out a draft to get the sequence of events in the correct order and then in your second draft you go back and add character motivations and humor all and, those interesting um, useful all those things, things and heart all the things right. you want to watch a movie for unfortunately they didn't do the second part so there's lots right. of 
horribly confused motivations. There's a twist with one character, and it turns out this character's plan is very similar to one of the good guys, but for some reason that good guy doesn't like it now. There's lots of that where you just kind of confuse why people are doing and saying things at certain moments. Um, I think it's interesting how they're they're choosing interesting directors for these films, and each mm. film has a, definitely a visual... A, a very specific visual style to that film. I remember whenever the first Godzilla trailer came out, the first teaser trailer for the the last Godzilla with Brian mm-hmm. Cranston came out, everyone flipped their lid because it looked so interesting and amazing. And then King Kong Skull Island looked very interesting. Here, I actually... The, I disagree with Bridget in that there wasn't remotely enough style here for me. I would have mm-hmm. preferred a lot more just, like, visual oomph. A lot of the character scenes are quite flat, and then a lot of the action scenes are very tight and dark and honestly... I found it very hard to find out exactly what was happening. The only there's one action scene that I really loved uh, is when Rodan comes out of the um, volcanic mountain and has a big fight with Ghidorah, and it's like it takes place during daylight. There's lots of visual variety, and it's filmed from a distance, so you can see everything that's happening. But that was the highlight because everything else was just grim and murky, and I uh, had no idea what was happening. Uh, yes. Well, let's sorry, go on. The lighting can make it look epic and, and yes. marvelous, but the framing it's a clash. Yeah, it's a little didn't. off. Well, let's hope uh, Stranger Things' Millie Bobby Brown hasn't ruined her transition into film with that one. Um, Godzilla, King of the Monsters is a 12A. It's out at both multiplexes. It's the view and light in town and all the surrounding Cineworld. And we have only given Emma about 11 minutes of talk about Rocket Man now, so we better get on with that. Here's the trailer. So how does it feel <laughs> start? On a small... Let's just enjoy it while we can. sleeping arrangements get out. All of this is gone. I just hope you realise you're choosing a life of being alone forever. Don't you want to just sing without this ridiculous paraphernalia? People don't pay to see Rich White. They pay to see Elton John. Sorry. Brennan. Hey, how much pressure I'm under? Not really. I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. Maybe I should have tried to be more ordinary. You were never ordinary. Emma, just tell us what happens. Why do you love it? It's a musical... <laughs> It's a musical fantasy about Elton John. Did I say Short I loved it? Have I mentioned I recently saw Elton John? No, I, was, I must admit I was in a very Elton John <laughs> frame of mind. And I'm a big fan of Taron Edgerton. And obviously oh, I do it was, love Taron. It's come on the back of, and I have to say, because it's Lorcan's favourite film of the year, Bohemian Rhapsody. And obviously the comparisons came thick and fast <laughs> beforehand yes. because Dexter Fletcher was hauled in to finish that off. And this is his, but this is his project. But it is a very different film because it is mm-hmm. actually much more of a musical. The fourth wall is broken all the time. Elton John's music is used in a more um, narrative way. It's not like yeah, a jukebox musical. It's actually a narrative way. And I really, really enjoyed it. I think I went in with high expectations. I, I certainly was going to be... I was always going to be an easy push for this because particularly the 70s Elton John music has been kind of the soundtrack to my marriage. I was I haven't grown up with it, but my husband did. And when we got married, we spent a lot of time with the, you know listening to a lot of the Mad Man Across the Water mm-hmm. era stuff. So... Um, I was probably always going to be a pushover, but I think they did a really solid job. I do think it's cliched in parts. I don't think it's perfect, but I think when it worked, it worked brilliantly. Like, there were certain 
scenes like the, the, I think the Saturday night's alright for fighting when it breaks in and they, they're kind of going through the fairground was really brilliant I love the scene which you see the beginning of the trailer where he falls into the swimming pool but then he floats down to the bottom of the swimming pool and they sing Rocket Man and it is a fantasy it's telling you you know, it just it, it basically takes you from Elton John's early year. It's, it's it's a flashback thing. So you start off with him marching into a AA meeting in full stage regalia, and then with it the just horns. flashes back all the way from from him trying to make it in the early years as Reg Dwight in London, all the way up to this kind of possibly fictional concert, I guess, which is in which is in the states, which he just and yeah, where he where he just can't do it anymore and has to yeah. leave and and go. And I think it was really good. And Taron Egerton. Although he doesn't sound particularly like Elton John, or really look particularly like Elton John, the mannerisms like were spot on. Mm-hmm. And I think as a performance, it was above and beyond what I would have expected from him, having obviously seen Great. him in Kingsman. And I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, and Eddie the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle. So you mentioned the way music's used here, and Elton himself has said that when he ended up watching the kitchen scene with Bryce Dallas Howard singing, everyone singing I Want Love... He completely broke down because he wasn't aware they were going to use that song in that way. So, oh, I hate to compare it to Bohemian Rhapsody, but did you like the way the music was used in this film? Have you ever seen that done in a musical biopic at all? Um, I don't think I've seen it in a musical bi- musical biopic. I was going to say, I think, on this occasion, perhaps William Shatner deserves some royalties because they did the thing of him kind of talking to the talking the lyrics over the music. Um, <laughs> But I, I actually, um, like like Emma says, like going into the film, I heard there was lots of cliches. I heard there was lots of kind of just tropes and goofy stuff. I actually loved it. Um, the film's pure melodrama. The mm-hmm. tone's really consistent. And considering how like outrageous and extravagant the film becomes, I don't mind those cliches being in there or like some like kind of weaker, more obvious dialogue to begin with, just because it, fe- it feels more consistent. Um, I like the use of the music. I like they they do a lot of like variations on the instrumentation with all the songs. Um, the film. This is always something I say. If a film feels like it was made in the seventies, I'm going to love it. And this film feels like it was made in the seventies. It feels, uh, it feels at times like Tommy, where it's very trippy yeah. and strange. And yeah. it's just they slow down the music and it gets very emotional. Um, they use kind of a lot of montage and collage to accentuate how like dramatic and extravagant, but also how. Um, like there'll be like a, a party scene that's got all these like visual things happening, and all of a sudden, like Elton John wakes up and he's lost like a week of his life. And it, the mm-hmm. film very much takes you along that journey. Um, and also something I really liked, but I didn't realize this was a thing until it happened in the film: the glorification of rehab. Usually ah. in films, rehab is like the low point of the story. I it's like, oh no, he's in rehab. But in this, it's like, oh, it's like it's so celebratory of rehab, and uses as a really clever framing device. I didn't pick up on that one at all, but I have got like eight different questions. So the first one, where we ended the film, we, so we don't meet David Furnish, his lifelong partner at all. We don't meet his kids. Where, where did we end and did you like it or did you want a little more out of his life story? No, I thought it would have been such a cliche had we ended with like David Furnish being played by <laughs> Here's some the producer. Actor, like walking in and like eyes looking across the room. I didn't think we needed that. This is a love story, really, I say, between Bernie Taupin and Elton Played John. Played by Jamie Bell. I would like to comment, we talked a lot about chemistry in Booksmart. I thought the chemistry between Jamie Bell and Taron Edgerton was brilliant. It meant, obviously, that the Richard Madden character as played by Aidan Gillen, so many Game of Thrones connotations this week, <laughs> as played by Aidan Gillen in the Bohemian Rhapsody film. It's the same guy, John Reed, managed both of them in the 70s, but right, has a much more okay. unpleasant Svengali role in this. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, he was my weakest point, because I kind of, 
they didn't. He that, was pantomime to me. He from was the very, very much beginning, a pantomime villain. So it just didn't ring true that they, you know, that yeah. that would happen. But so we'll we'll explain for people. So Taron Edgerton plays Elton John. Jamie Bell off of um, Billy Elliot, same writer as this actually, by the way, plays Bernie Taupin, who was Elton John's lifelong writer very best friend and Elton always says he's the most important person in my life after my husband and my kids and then Richard Madden what was that TV show I didn't watch that everyone else did a game of a body. Th- the game of oh, the is he in that as well? Never seen any of that either. The bodyguard thing. Well, yeah, and bodyguard. Okay, it's called bodyguard. Just Great. Bodyguard, yeah. Okay, not the bodyguard. So he used to film very different. Which I like. Um, so he plays John Reed, who was his manager, but it, it's Can't a really yeah. Whether whether that was wholly consensual, um, but it was it was a very very not a great relationship very controlling and John Reed's sort of trying to steer his career and his personal relationship with him oh, I quite violently well and depressingly I mean, I yeah. Elton sued him for Elton John has yeah. sued him I mean it's well known that yeah that did not end well yeah and we have Bryce Dallas Howard as his mum who's also a very tricky character actually Elton John's mum and uh, they famously are they talking now again but you see Bryce Dallas Howard see, had quite a nice thing to say about her so she was just very sad she feels like she didn't have the life she wanted and she was trying to play her with a little bit of empathy in that way but they played I just his hated stepdad her. very sympathetically the guy from because <laughs> I had no idea I had no idea that his yeah. father had effectively walked out of them and started yeah. off a new very troubled kind of war hero life. just yeah. left yeah. and I really enjoyed the scene where he goes to visit his father in his incredibly suburban 98 and in sort of sweeps Elton with all yeah. the pizzazz with the limos and, and the sequins yeah. and, and his father just Really, it's, wants that, nothing to do with him, does he? There's nothing there for him. I loved um, Gemma Jones as his grandma, and so that could have ended up really cliched, especially with the writer, the what, Lee Hall. So he wrote things like Billy Elliot and Victorian Abdul. So he can be a bit sickly sweet, but I really like the relationship between the grandma and Elton because that's obviously a very important one for him. Uh, we are totally running out of time, so rather than me asking more questions, what did you love most, most, most about this? Um, if just, you loved it, <laughs> uh, the pacing, the lead performance, and uh, it's it's ju- it's just a fun ride that you can just kind of get sucked into. Okay, Emma. I think it's really it's really hard to um, do anything bad with such an amazing back catalogue as well, and I really like the way they treated the music. Just to say, very particularly your song, the most famous one. I love the way that they introduced that in because they do everything out of sing, um, out of timeline, if you like. And I just think the way they used the music was just brilliant and great performances. Excellent. Thank you, guys. She packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. Have to finish on a little Elton, people. This is actual Rocket Man. Not my favourite. What's your favourite Elton song, by the way? Probably we've, your song. We've discussed this before, and it used to be your song, but everyone's is your song, so I like Daniel best. I like Leave On. Bridget, you got one? She ain't got one. Don't worry. You be you, Bridget. Thank you. Sass. All sass. sass. All the sass all the time. Thanks for joining us today on Bums on Seats. If you're listening to us live on Saturday, stay tuned for It's Women Making Waves, actually, with Arlinda. Um, and if you missed anything from this show, we did The New X-Men, Late Night, Book Smart, The New Godzilla and Rocket Man. 
Listen again tomorrow at two, or if you're listening again tomorrow at two and you still miss stuff, wait a couple of days and our podcast will be out on iTunes or just look for Bums on Seats on Twitter or Facebook and you'll find it there. Thank you, Lorcan. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Thank you thanks, so much. Thanks, Bridget. And thanks because Dave had to run. But here's a little Elton John to take you into the news. Uh, we will see you in two weeks' time back on Bums on Seats. Thank you. Goodbye. Just my job five days.